We always love seeing our kids uh, here at church, whether they're going to class or whether they're here in service with us, but especially on this Sunday, because if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. We're going to be talking about kids and parents and family today. This is a sermon about family, about life in the home. And um, there's actually a lot said directly to children here, to kids of all ages. And uh, so some of you whose kids are in class, you're going to have to take this and deliver it to them um, after service today. And I know that you'll, you'll do that. Let me read verses 1 to 4 and then we'll, we'll talk about it. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land or long upon the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. Well, I don't think anybody would disagree that a healthy family is very important to have, right? Uh, even, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, what's your background, whether you had a good family growing up or not a good family, whether you're currently in a good family or not a good family, it doesn't matter. Most everybody agrees healthy families make for healthy lives. Isn't that right? In fact, most people would, would even go so far as to extend that and say healthy families make healthy societies, uh, the whole city, the whole neighborhood, the whole nation even, the whole church certainly depends upon the strength of the families that make it up. Uh, in fact, I, I want to try to show you today from these verses that the family is God's most basic building block that he's always used to fashion human community and human society and therefore parents and kids too have mutual responsibilities in the home that if we carry out those responsibilities, independence on grace actually ends up being one of the main ways God disciples us. How you behave at home, kids, and how you behave at home, parents, is the top way, one of the top ways at least, that God teaches you to follow Jesus and to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, I was reading a, a little book about uh, church history this week, um, and I, I like to read history books, and I kind of rotate through different types of history books in my reading, um, biographies and whatnot. This one was about the church in the early American period, and, and it was talking about the colonial times and then the early nation. And you might not have realized, but as the nation was getting started, people were moving out into the frontiers, always pressing out into the new territory, always establishing new cities. Well, church planting was going crazy, you could say, during those days. I mean, churches were being planted everywhere at a very rapid rate as people moved out to new communities. And it struck me as I was reading about this, because, you know, being a church planter, leading a church plant, being a part of it with you all, about to particularize, I read this sentence where it said, you know, in that early period, church planting was very simple. It was a simple strategy. Four or five families who had become strong in Christ because of their commitment to a church in one town noticed how several miles away there was a new town without a church. And so those four or five families left that town, moved to the next town, and started worshiping there instead of here. And those strong families then, in turn, shared the gospel with other families that weren't as strong, and then they became strong families. And as I read that, I thought, wow, and that's simple but so true 
uh, really what we're trying to do at Greater Hope all hinges on family. It always has. Um, kind of the strategy that they used in the 1700s is not all that different than what we used from 2017 to the day. Families started a church. Well, it really is so important, even as we're about to take the next step as a church, that we remember from whence we came. And that we remember we will not go any further than each of our families go. We will not go together any further than each of our families are able to go with the Lord apart. So look at your, look at your outline. There are three things about parenting or family that Paul points out. I just want to talk you through them. First of all, let's look at your home. And let's think about God's design for your home. That's the first thing. Secondly, let's look at God's law. And let's think about how the Bible needs to be central to your home and how it can be. And then lastly, let's look at your parental responsibilities. Specifically as a parent, uh, Paul addresses fathers, but he doesn't mean to leave out mothers. We'll talk about why he addresses fathers only here. But really it's talking about parents raising their kids in a certain way in the home. So let's look at those three things. Your home, God's law, and the parent's responsibility. Uh, Look at verse 1. Paul uh, is setting the context for family. He's trying to show you what the home is supposed to be in God's design. And it's so interesting to me how he starts it. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, what an amazing thing. Paul addresses kids first. Uh, Think about the New Testament uh, time, and when these letters were written, Paul did not write one copy of this letter for every church member to go read at home. Paul wrote one copy of the letter, sent it to the whole church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was big. It had multiple congregations within the one church, and that one letter was passed around to all the churches, and on Sunday, the pastor was supposed to get up and take Paul's letter, and along with the other scripture readings, he was supposed to read from Paul's letter. So put yourself in that situation. You're sitting there in a Roman culture where kids are nothing. Dads are everything. Wives and slaves and children are nothing, but men are everything. And Paul, in each case, addresses the lesser first. Last week he said wives before husbands. This week he says children before fathers. And next week he's going to say slaves or servants before masters. And right away, if you get that in your mind, you start to realize, whoa, we're getting into something very countercultural and different here. In God's plan, the family occupies a different place than it does in the world. And in God's plan, each member of the family occupies a different place than the world thinks it does. Children are important, the Bible says. You say, well, of course we believe that. Well, I would submit to you the reason why we believe that is we have been living off of borrowed Bible for 2,000 years now. In the culture before the Bible came, they didn't assume this. Kids were expendable. Kids were just basically property of the father. Here, Paul says, you are, kids, an intelligent member of a family and therefore also an intelligent member of the church. And so, kids, you too have responsibilities before God. You cannot farm those responsibilities out. And you, kids, cannot expect your parents to do it all for you. You have a responsibility before the Lord at home. And that responsibility is to obey your parents. Now, when you use the word responsibility, I think it's important to recognize 
that every time the Bible describes human responsibility in relationship to God, it always uses the word covenant to describe it. Covenant's everywhere in the Bible. A covenant is a special relationship established between two or more people based on promises and responsibilities. God establishes covenant with his people based on his promises and the responsibilities he's going to undertake for us. But then he always calls his people in the covenant to respond by taking up their responsibilities too. Well, notice kids are a part of that. In fact, look at that little phrase there in verse 1, the simple phrase, in the Lord. And that kind of tells you everything you need to know about the Bible's view of family. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, in Christ. Meaning, kids, you along with your parents are in the Lord. They believe in Jesus. You're born into their family. You are also in the Lord, a member of the church. You're to be treated as such. This is, by the way, one of the reasons why we baptize children from the earliest age. We believe in that as a biblical conviction. That in the Bible, when God came to Abraham and established a covenant, he said to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children after you. And therefore, Abraham, circumcise your children on the eighth day. Give them the sign of my covenant because I want the kids growing up in your house to learn they have responsibilities. And they have responsibilities because they've been given privileges. They've been brought under the sound of the voice of God from birth. As Paul tells Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood because your mother had faith and because your grandmother had faith. What a privilege. That privilege comes with corresponding responsibilities. And so Peter, in the New Testament, when he announces baptism in Acts chapter 2, he says, be baptized, all of you, because the promise is to you and to your children after you. And so throughout the Bible, God put children into the covenant and nowhere has he kicked them out. And so therefore, this morning, kids, God has business to do with you. Whether you want to recognize it or not, God is dealing with you. God is calling you. God is working in your life. And God wants you to feel the weight of the responsibility of being a person made in his image under his rule and authority. And the main way you do that is learning how to obey mom and dad. Because mom and dad are God's appointed authority in the home over you. Now, I love love the word obey there. Not just because I'm a parent. (laughs) But I love the word obey because of what the word obey means. The Bible, when it talks about obeying, the Bible doesn't just mean outward conformity. Like, it's not kids, be outwardly good, you know, so that everybody thinks your family is wonderful. You see, a Christian family is not just a safe family or a respectable family or a nice family. A Christian family is a covenant family. And that means obedience in the Bible is more than outward conformity with a hard heart because you really don't want to do it, but you have to so you don't get spanked. (laughs) Obedience in the Bible ought to be from the heart. In fact, the word means to listen or to hear underneath someone else. That's that's obedience. To put yourself underneath somebody to listen to them. That's a hard attitude. It's an attitude, not just 
a set of outward actions. And so notice, kids, what God is calling you to do. He's calling you to have responsibility because you are in the Lord. You need to repent of your sins and believe just like everybody else, but you are marked with the covenant privileges of God. Well, as a result of that, God wants your heart. God doesn't just want your time. He doesn't just want your your money. He doesn't just want your career one day. He wants your heart. He wants your very self. And one of the ways you practice giving God your heart is by giving your heart also to your parents and all of their instructions and all the care that they give to you. Isn't that cool? Well, notice the outcome. Look at verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord for why? What's the reason? This is right. Right means righteous. Righteous means it lives up to a certain standard. It fits with the standard. Let's put it all together. The Christian home is a place where both parents and children have privileges in the covenant and responsibilities back to God. Both of them do. So that they would learn how to give their hearts to God and to one another. So that their lives might become more fitting or more like what God designed for them to be like in the beginning. Remember we said last week about marriage. Marriage is not a place primarily to come to be affirmed. It's a place to be formed. It's a forge. You go into the fire, you get melted down, and then you get beat into shape. That's marriage. Well, parenting and childhood is that way too. It's a forge. Kids, your parents are not primarily designed to be your friends. You know, now I, I didn't say your parents might not be your friends one day or that they might not be friendly to you. They should be. And they should be kind to you and loving and nurturing. But the primary job of the parent isn't just to be another friend. You've got plenty of those, but you only got one or two parents. And the parental role is actually a role that is going to sometimes, it's, you're not going to like it sometimes. Right? You're not going to like some of the things that they teach you, but that is part of learning how to be a human under God's rule in this world, is learning how to listen to somebody who knows better than you do. And if you're not able to listen to your parent, you think you're going to be able to listen to God? If you can't even follow an authority figure that you do see, how can you follow an invisible, unseen authority figure? There's a lot riding on this. In other words, the Christian home is a forge of righteousness. And parents and kids, both of y'all need to know that. All of you, I want the kids to listen to this just as much as the parents. Because Paul addresses you. You need to know that's the reason why you're being raised by your parents. So that you might be made what God wants you to be from the heart out. And that requires you to take responsibility. Your parents can't do it for you completely. you got to take responsibility for that, um, which is a great thing. I mean, life is all about responsibility. It makes, it makes the world go around. Uh, there was an article a couple of years ago in the Atlantic magazine called, Why Are American Teenagers So Sad? And uh, it, was, it was trying to find an explanation for the rise of depression and all other kinds of mental health among American teens. And it identified about four possible causes of it. And I'm not saying if you're depressed, this is 
got to be the reason why. There's lots of reasons why someone might be depressed, but here's one to consider in terms of being a kid. Uh, it said, the modern parenting style of accommodation actually is making kids sadder. And this was from the Atlantic magazine. Like They're not reading Paul in Ephesians, right? They're not studying the Bible. But they know that if, and what do I mean by accommodative parenting? Meaning you give them everything they want. You try to keep, your main goal is to make them happy, parents. Uh, your main goal is to shield them from all things that might possibly hurt them physically, mentally, socially, emotionally. You know, you try to cocoon them. And what that does is it takes all the weight off your kid's shoulders. And a person who has no weight on their shoulders suddenly kind of starts to lose the will to, to live. Kids are people too. Right? Kids are people too. And kids from the youngest of ages can be given real authority, or not authority, real, uh, uh, real responsibility and weight to carry in the home, especially when it comes to their spiritual lives. And Paul is saying that's exactly the way the families within the church are designed to be. Forges of righteousness where kids as well as parents know very well what they're supposed to carry. And so I wonder this morning, do you know what your home is for? Do you know what your home is for? The psalm that we began with today, Psalm 127, says, Children are like arrows. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. That's a fascinating way to put it. Kids are like arrows. It seems that way sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes the arrows are coming at you rather than away from you. But kids are like arrows. Think about that. And, and I think we're supposed to think from that that sort of the parent's job is to get the kids going in the right direction like you would do an arrow. You're supposed to set them off. Your job is not to control them forever and possess them, right? Your job is to set them going in the right trajectory so they can fly there. Well, just like an arrow, if I'm, if I'm one millimeter off when I set it off, I'm going to be 10 feet off by the time it gets to the target. And so in the home, there's a critical opportunity to dial it in, to dial it in exactly where God wants it to be uh, as best we can, depending on his grace, so that our kids have an opportunity to fly straight. Now, now still, this, this is also relieving to parents. Those of you who may have wayward kids or kids that are rebellious or whatever, um, also this is saying it doesn't mean it's all your fault. Children have responsibility too, and a lot of times uh, kids going wayward uh, may not be all chalked up to the parents doing the bad job here or there. Uh, I think parents should always be humble and ask hard questions, but in general, sometimes kids go awry because kids don't take their responsibility like they should before the Lord. Kids are people too. And when people don't take their responsibilities, they suffer for it, right? What is your home for? Is it a forge of righteousness? Secondly, uh, let's look at God's law. Uh, The word of God, the Bible, ought to be at the very center of a healthy home life. Why? Because it's really the only standard of righteousness. Uh, If the goal in verse 1 is that everything would be right, if we are following Jesus so that we could be returned back to righteousness then you and I need to have some guide of what righteousness is. 
And Paul, in verses 2 and 3, does the simplest thing in the world. And I want to tell you, this is the simplest parenting strategy, but it's the best. Paul opens up his Bible and reads the fifth commandment to us. And I want to tell you, that's the best parenting strategy you can ever have. To be a reader of the Bible who reads the Bible to and with your children and talks about it with them. Do y'all believe that? I mean, this is what Paul does. I mean, verse 2, honor your father and mother, direct quote. He's not getting cute and fancy. Uh, We know Paul is a smart man. He could have written two or three more paragraphs just riffing off of what he just said. Instead, he just opens his Bible and says, turn with me to the Ten Commandments and let's read the word of the Lord. Honor your father and mother. He gives one comment, which is only to say, this is the first of the Ten Commandments that came came with a promise. Then he finishes reading, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in in the earth or on the land. Paul simply reads the standard of righteousness found in the law so that God might use that law to awaken the consciences of the people listening to it so they would wake up to their covenant responsibilities. And parents, one of our main jobs is to help awaken our kids to their covenant responsibilities by teaching them diligently what God tells them to do, what God tells them not to do from the Scripture, and to tell them the way that God saves us when we don't do what He tells us to do. The way He saves sinners, the law and the gospel. Those are your two best friends as a parent, the law and the gospel. Tell them what's right and wrong. Enforce the rules, but also bring the gospel grace that you yourself need. One great way, by the way, to bring the gospel grace to your kids is being man enough or woman enough to apologize to your kids when you need to and to confess your sins to God where they can hear you do it. Now, you can go overboard on that. You can apologize so much that, you know, you start to look less in their eyes. You know, you need to to be careful with that. You can get too nitty-gritty in your confessions before God in front of your kids, maybe. But in general, you need to open your mouth and be humble before your kids verbally. It's a great way to teach them, hey, my dad, my mom, man, they bring the law, but, man, they also bring the gospel. They believe with all their heart that what God says is right, and, we, and that's what we're called to do, and we're not going to bend on that. But, you know, they also believe that God is a heavenly Father who embraces sinners in grace. Because I know my mom thinks she's a sinner. I know my dad. I know he knows he's a sinner. And I know he's a sinner. <laughs> my, my kids would definitely say that. He's a sinner. But he knows how to run to Jesus. Law, gospel, your best friend. Bible simply opened. You and I need a King Josiah moment in our households. Say, so what do you mean by that? Uh, king Josiah was the king of Judah. He's one of the few good ones. He became the king at eight years old, and so he didn't do much until he turned about 17. And his first act as king at 17 was to clear out the temple and rebuild it because it was starting to fall apart. And he sent all these people to the temple, and they started doing the construction and as they're ruffling, you know, rustling through the, the storage closets, they find the Bible. The only copy that they had of the Bible. It was sitting in a storage closet collecting dust. And they had never read it before. Can you imagine? I mean, as a side note, that's a wake-up call to us that 
Christian homes can lose the Bible. Churches can lose the Bible. If not physically, at least in heart, we can lose it. Even though we say, Bible, 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 if we never read it, if it's dusty, then it's not really, we're just saying words at that point, right? So they found it. They read it. They got convicted. They sent it to the king, and somebody, a priest, came and read the whole thing to him. He just stood up, and at that point, if you look at your Bible from Genesis to about probably First and Second Samuel, that's how much of the Bible they had, this much. The priest came in and just started reading and read that whole thing to the king. And it said, the first time he'd ever heard it, and it says that Josiah fell on his face, tore his clothes, and woke up to his covenant responsibilities as king. He got his household in order. He started obeying God, and he got the kingdom in order. He smashed all the idols and made sure the worship was the way it was supposed to be. He brought back the Passover and all the sacrifices and all the rest. You and I need a King Josiah moment at home if you haven't had one yet. Where is your Bible? I know you know where it's at. I mean, figuratively, where is your Bible in your life? Where is it in your home? Is it central? Did you know? Uh, one of my friends you know, told me this week, here's about one way that he parents his kids. When he's disciplining them, because, I mean, say, for example, he caught them lying routinely about something. Instead of just simply spanking them, grounding them, taking their phone away, and all those kinds of negative things, which we can and should do, he says he also writes out a list of the verses in the Bible about lying, for example, gives it to him and says, hey, I want you to read these five verses, and I want you to think about them, pray about them. I want you to write a paragraph about what you think they're teaching you, and I'm going to get with you, take you to dinner, and talk to you about it. Wow. Isn't that a cool strategy? I'm not saying everybody has to do it exactly that way, All I'm trying to show there is that the Bible can be not just peripheral, but central. Even when you're upset because your kids are doing wrong things, you can still bring them back to God's truth. And it has to be done in a good way where you're not just bringing the law, but also the gospel too. But make sure you're bringing it. The whole book. To your kids on a regular basis. Um, (laughs) Let me read to you something. You might think, this is kind of unusual. I want to read to you from our book of church order. Our book of church order has a section in it called the Directory for the Worship of God. And it has a chapter there called Christian Life in the Home. And this is great. It's just a great resource to show you how the Bible could be central in your family life. Listen to what it says. It says, family worship, uh, which should be observed by every family, consists in prayer reading the scriptures and singing praises or in some briefer form of outspoken recognition to God. So as a family, one thing you can do is actually get together on the regular and pray together, read the Bible together and sing, or at least do some way that you're praising God uh, with your mouth together. It's called family worship. It's one way to make the Bible central. It says, secondly, parents should instruct their children in the word of God and the principles of our holy religion. This means the parents can start studying the Bible and making that a part of their diet and then start figuring out ways to sit down with your kids like I just described and talk them through what the Bible says and why it says it. 
It goes on, uh, the reading of devotional literature should also be encouraged. Every proper opportunity should be embraced for religious instruction, uh, but especially Bible reading. It says parents should uh, keep the Lord's Day. One way that you can help your kids is keeping the Sabbath day holy. Uh, parents should set an example of piety or, or faith and consistent living before the family. Unnecessary private visits on the Lord's Day and indulgence in practices injurious to the spiritual life of the family should be avoided. Uh, in the task of religious education, parents, parents should cooperate with the church by setting their children an example in regular and punctual attention at Sunday school and the services of the church by assisting them in preparing their lessons ahead of time and by leading them in a consistent application of the teachings of the gospel in their daily activities. Now, why do I read that to you? Because it convicts me when I read it, but I still go back and read it and think, okay, I can get better. There are more opportunities for me to do what Deuteronomy 6 says, to fill my home with the Bible. And I want to say to you today, there's more opportunities for you. I don't personally think there's a parent in here that could fully live up to what the Bible asks a parent to do. I don't think so. I just don't think that's the case. Myself, very much included in that. The calling is, get back up and get back around the Bible. Get back up, get back around the Bible. Draw the attention of the family to who matters most. The voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us in the scriptures. Where is the Bible at home for you? Thirdly, let's, let's finish today by looking at the uh, parents' responsibilities. Uh, let me get back to Ephesians here. In verse 4 it says, To fathers particularly, although we'll talk about that in a second, uh, that there are two things, one thing that they should avoid and one thing they should do. Uh, overall, it's saying that parents, especially fathers, are given the responsibility to set the spiritual temperature of the house. Parents set the spiritual temperature of the house, or at least they can. Uh, they can do it either in a negative way or in a positive way. And he, and he lays it out for us there. Now, now, let's deal with this question. Why does he address fathers only and not mothers and fathers? Well, I think part of it is because, you know, as, he, as we saw last week, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the church. And in the same way, the Bible does see the father as the head of the family. Now, we recognize that moms and dads should be partners in parenting. Every step of the way, uh, moms and dads should work really hard to be on the same page. Um, sometimes it does not work out that way. Uh, some, there are Definitely single parent homes that are called by God to, in some ways, play both roles. And that's very hard to do. Uh, single parents deserve all of our care, support, and prayer because it's a hard thing. Uh, even in the case where a, where a marriage breaks up, it's, it's really good, if, if at all possible, for the two parents to still, at least in some way, get on the same page. Because in God's design, father and mother are both needed. Uh, that's why he addresses fathers and not mothers. Um, and in some places in Scripture, he addresses mothers and not fathers. Countercultural point. I was on a roll last week with countercultural. I'm going to get on it today. Moms and dads are not interchangeable completely. Now, we, we, got, a, we got a child crying out to us today. <laughs> 
and moms are going. See how that is? Moms and dads are not different. All the dads are in here are like, I don't even hear it. Uh, moms are there. They're on it. That's an illustration of what I'm about to say. Moms and dads are different. And, okay, moms and dads share so much in, in common, right? And so that's why it is possible for God to use a single-parent home in a wonderful way because moms and dads are so much the same in their parenting. But there is a difference, too, that can't be just completely erased. Dads, more than anyone else, you can set the spiritual temperature of your home. And actually, research and data backs it up. Uh, There was a study done uh, by, a, I think it was a Swiss group years ago in Switzerland, where they were studying the effect of parents' faith on the faith of their children. Let Let me just read you what they found. Uh, In homes where both parents attend church regularly, kids, when they grow up, are 33% 33 of them also attend church regularly, and 41% attend irregularly. In homes where only the moms attend church, I mean, this is, I didn't make this up, Swiss study, you can look it up, 2% of the kids go regularly when they grow up. Two versus 33 when both do. When dads alone go and not moms, 44% go regularly when they grow up. This is not a speech against moms coming to church. <laughs> and this is not saying that moms, you don't have a tremendous role. My own mother, I, I, I owe so much of my faith to my mother, who was here at the first service. Moms mean a lot when it comes to faith. All I'm trying to say is, dads, you cannot be sidelined. You cannot be sidelined. When you're sidelined, usually it shows up. Maybe even more than it shows up when the mom is sidelined. Because in God's design, the father's voice just carries so much weight with the child. Even with the grown kids, the dad's voice continues to carry so much weight. And so a father who is spiritually dialed in with God can have worlds of influence. And I would say to you, it's much better when the mom and the dad together are dialed into the Lord. That's even better. Whatever the statistics say, it's better. If you find yourself in a situation where that's not possible, if your dad's you know, not a believer or if you're not a churchgoer or whatever, um, pray for him. Pray for your husband. If you're a single parent, pray that God would impress upon your child that he is their father. Because I, I think, I mean, if you look at verse 4, don't provoke your children to anger. That's the bad way. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's the good way to set the temperature. Think about the difference between those two things. And I would argue with you that the difference between doing the one and the other is how well the mom and dad get their position in the gospel to begin with. And so even if you find yourself being a single parent, if your child learns that, that God is their heavenly father, it can make up for so much that the parents aren't there or one of the parents is not there to give. It's an amazing thing. I mean, because what, what are you doing, verse 4, when you provoke your children to anger? Y'all know what that looks like, right? Harsh, overbearing, too much, too heavy-handed. Uh, you give the kids the impression that they can never please you. That's, that's overbearing. That's exasperating them or driving them to anger. 
Why do parents do that? And we've all done it. Why do we do it when we do it? Usually because it's, we're afraid. We're afraid of how they might turn out if we don't hit them over the head and knuckle them, you know. Or we're full of pride. We don't want to be seen as a bad parent or a parent who can't keep the kids in line. And so when nobody's looking, we're, you know, you better behave so that, you know, people are watching. Pride and fear. What is the only solution to pride and fear in all the world? That God, the holy God, has adopted you into his family because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for you. Therefore, why can you be proud? How can you be proud? Jesus had to die to save. I mean, you're far worse than you think you are. Right? Way worse. The cure to pride, too. I mean, the cure to fear as well. Jesus didn't have to die for you, but he did. He willingly chose to die for you. How can you be afraid of anything? Your kids have responsibilities. You have responsibilities. They may not carry out theirs. You're not going to carry out yours perfectly, but Jesus died for you. (laughs) And there's your identity. Parents, if we are going to be, if we're going to lead homes that are forges of righteousness, then we first have to find our only identity in the Lord, in his cross, in his resurrection, in the adoption as sons, which he has freely given us through both of those things. Do you know, Christian, this morning, whether you're an adult, whether you're a kid in this room, whether you're a parent, grandparent, whatever, do you know you have a Father in heaven who pities you when you need to be pitied? He protects you when you need to be protected. He provides for you when you need to be provided for. He does things for you even when you don't ask him because he knows you don't even know how to ask him for the things you really need. He disciplines you when you need discipline. And sometimes it hurts really bad when he does. And it should. But he never casts you off. And he never will. That kind of parent doesn't have to provoke the kids to anger. That kind of parent can bring them up. Nourish them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord because they themselves are under the discipline and instruction of the Lord every day in their lives. Wow. All of society, every school, every church, every neighborhood, every city, every nation, hinges upon the health of the family. And the health of the family, it turns out, hinges upon God's redeeming work through his son, Jesus Christ. Parents, do you know him? Kids, do you know him? Do you know it's your responsibility to know him? Your parents can't do it for you. You got to know him. He wants to know you. Praise God. He's chasing you. And God always gets what he chases. So go ahead and go ahead and surrender.
while you're young. Amen? All, all, the, all the adults, isn't that wise? Submit while you're young. Present yourself early to God, the Bible says. You'll save yourself a whole lot of heartache. 